everybody welcome to another version of the bruce singer podcast i'm bruce singer your host and i'm also the ceo and founder of canada cfos which provides fractional cfos uh ancient cfos uh does financing as well to companies in the mid-market and we have of course we have this podcast which is awesome i have today the most awesome guest <laughs> we're gonna learn a lot today uh dr howard johnson and i want to tell you about howard uh, first, he's the managing director of Kroll Corporate Financing in Canada, and Kroll itself is a is a multi-billion-dollar organization worldwide in multiple countries. And Howard's going to tell you more, but some of the things he's accomplished are just absolutely outstanding. Uh, he's an author of 13 books on valuation and corporate finance, uh, recognized by CPA Canada as part of their curriculum. Uh, they're all in M&A and valuation. That's a space he plays in. He's also a leading expert in the area of food and beverage. Uh, by the way, you gotta get back it up. Uh, he's an expert at creating shareholder value, which we'll get into. He's an expert in the food and beverage space. And the last 10 years, he's specifically been involved in over 20, 20 plus transactions. Uh, that's M&A, divestitures, other or consulting or advisory in the food and beverage space in Canada. Uh, Kroll itself is a top five mid-market investment bank um, in, in the M&A in the M&A space all over all over the world. Uh, just so you know about the organization, some of the some of the fam- some of the companies that you may have heard of uh, that he has been involved with as clients are Yaya Foods, uh, Super Puffs. Uh, I hope I got it right. Brickhouse, no, like, Bakerhouse, House Vi- Bakery, uh, Gum Products International, Mrs. White's. Some of those may not be household names. But you are buying their products. They are pretty standard because some of them are private label. And uh, but these are really, really it's 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 incredible. He's a doctorate, and uh, he's he spoke on numerous numerous. He, he's a he's a go to person for numerous speakers, an expert, a leading expert, an incredible guest. We're gonna learn. We're gonna learn incredible things today. Howard, congratulations on your life's work. It's it's incredible, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So let's talk about what everybody wants to know. It's a lot of money. We're talking money here. Uh, the first, first theme is about building shareholder value. Yeah. So I'm a so, food company. Look, I'm a food company. Yeah. You know, I want, I want, I, 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 what's the deal? <laughs> so look, building shareholder value. And, yeah. and look, I, I spent a lot of my time working with business owners and executives on how to create value in, in their business. And, you know, the the formula is is pretty generic. Whether you're making potato chips or computer chips, there's three economic drivers that ultimately influence whether you're creating long-term value. You know, number one is cash flow, right? It's the cash that your business generates. Number two is the risk profile of the business, right? So if you can get the risk down, right, that increases your multiple, increases value. And it's also the capital that's employed. And that's one of the things that a lot of business owners and executives don't pay enough attention to. They're very concerned about the income statement, the revenue, the profitability. But what they also should be thinking about is how much capital do I need in terms of working capital, in terms of equipment and so on to generate that revenue and that profitability. So if you can generate a higher level of cash flow or even the same cash flow, but less capital is needed to do that, you create value. Wow. Because ultimately, the ultimate testament to shareholder value is the amount of intangible value in your business. 
So let's say we've got a business that's worth $20 million, right? Uh, that uh, the, the shares are worth 20 million. Well, if the retained earnings, you call it in, in your business, right? So if you take your receivables and inventory, less your payables and you have your equipment and you net all that out and all of that, it gives you $18 million. Well, if you sell your business for 20, then the first 18 that you're taking out is really just the return of the money that you put in your business. Yeah, it's a nice payday. Everybody likes a $20 million payday. But the question is, have you created shareholder value? In that case, not much. But let's say, for example, you get the same $20 million check, but the amount of capital that you give up at closing. So you, you manage your working capital, you manage your fixed assets, and you've only given up $5 million of this underlying tangible worth. You've created now $15 million in value. That intangible value is what I call value beyond the balance sheet. That is the key. And it really comes down to a combination of three things. It's people, products, and customers. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's always important to manage your equipment and everything else and, and to keep that operation running. But business owners and executives should be saying to themselves, what am I doing to increase intangible value in my business? So it's the people side. So it's that strong management team. Right. A lot of business owners in particular get very involved in the business, which for a small business is very much the norm. But when they want to sell their business or otherwise retire, maybe leave it to the next generation, it's difficult to do so. And they become what I call a stuck holder. Right? They're stuck in their business. Nobody wants to buy that business without their ongoing involvement. So what are you doing to build that strong management team that is independent of the owner? So it's working on the business versus in the business. Exactly. And look, it's not it's not as easy to do as as as, as it is to say, yeah. but it is important to drive and, and get those good that good management team in operations, in finance, in marketing, and so on, so the business owner can becomes less critical. They can still be involved, but are they viewed as critical? That's the question. On the product side, what are you doing in your products? Is there anything unique or proprietary about products? Is there a brand name that you're building? Right, because think of it, a brand name creates scalability. Let's say you're planning to sell your business in three or five years. You want you want to you go to these big buyers, right? You go to the the crafts of the world and you go to General Mills and so on. They really will have difficulty in a lot of cases buying a very small business unless they can scale it. So if you've got a great brand name or a great formulation, something that they can multiply and scale, that's what gets them interested. Now, maybe you're a private label manufacturer. That's okay, too. There's a lot of money to be made in, in co-packing and private label. But are you able to deliver something beyond that? Are you able, for example, to work with customers to help deliver new formulations that they need? Where are you creating that stickiness? Where, where are you creating a barrier to exit? So it's difficult. It's never impossible. But is it difficult for that client to leave and go somewhere else? Right, And it can't be just price. If you're playing the low price game, it's you know it's it's not a good end game. What are you delivering beyond the price that keeps people coming back to you because of the proprietariness of the product and the solutions you're delivering? So if you're right? building a food a food and beverage brand, a rec like I've seen some up and coming, there are some definitely up and coming food and beverage brands that are really making a difference. Those they're becoming like more household names. Like when I go to the supermarket, I see them the more household names. I look for them. That's the branding. That that's that's the branding. And look, branding isn't easy. And easy. you know, 
it uh, you know it also comes down to the customer base, right? So in Canada, a lot of food and beverage manufacturers have the challenge that look, you got a handful of large customers. We have a very concentrated retail uh, landscape in Canada. You know, you got your Metro, your Sobeys, your your Loblaws. I mean, there's not a lot out there. And yes, Walmart and Costco might be there. But, you know, can you get into the U.S.? Can you penetrate that bigger piece, which a lot of Canadian companies want to do, but is not easy? And how do you get down there? How do you build that brand where the competition can be so much more intense? But if you can create that customer stickiness, right, and ultimately it's the end consumer that says, I want to see that that, uh, product on the shelf, that's where it is. So, look, they're all entwined, right? If you have a good management team, that can find good customers and you've got good proprietary products, all these things combined to build intangible value. It's hard to dissect and say, you know, your customers are worth so much, your, your uh, brand is worth so much, et cetera. But in aggregate, that intangible value is what builds long-term shareholder value, whether you're thinking of selling your business or you just want to transition it to next generation, or you just want to sit back and clip coupons one day and, you know, enjoy your, with your toes in the, in the stand. Right. Shareholder value is universal. It's it. cash flow, it's risk, and it's uh, capital management. I like, I like, I like, I like the way you articulate that. That's interesting. So, so now we're looking at food company. Okay, food to food company could be a B two B. Could be there's many food companies out there. So what 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 does the shareholder, the owner, the the ownership team, what do they do? Like they want to do it, but where do they? Like, what's the, I, I guess, what are the actions? Is that, is that the, like, where does it start? What are the actions? What are the steps? Can you articulate in your experience what? Yeah, well, look, every every single business is is unique. Uh, so I, I think there's, there's a couple of things here. You know, number one, everybody's got to be aligned, right? So an important element to this is ensuring that the compensation structure, because it all starts with having good people. But the compensation structure will always influence how people behave. You want to ensure that the compensation structure is consistent with creating long-term shareholder value. So compensation structures that are based on short-term metrics, right? We want to maximize EBITDA, so earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, which is kind of a, a benchmark. And everybody's looking at that number. Yes, it's important. But if you're short-term minded and say, we want to maximize that in one year, then maybe it encourages some of the management team to do things like take unnecessary risk to get that reward. Or alternatively, buy a whole bunch of new capital or extended payment terms for, for customers that are using up capital and constraining financing resources to hit that magic number. So developing a good comprehensive uh, uh, system for compensation that aligns everybody's interests, I think, is a very important starting point. And building that shareholder value over time you know, becomes key because you always want to be in a position where you can sell your business if you want to, but you don't have to. Because ultimately, despite all the economic voodoo that is out there with multiples and this and that and cash flow, it's about negotiation. It's about the need and the desire to transact between the buyer and the seller. And unless you can say no, you can't negotiate. If you have a good business, you can always say no, right? So that's that's where that's the position that you want to be in. So you mentioned you mentioned the compensation. Well, but, but I think you're right. There's as someone has been involved, 
there is a, a I guess, word is mentality. You, you really get some insights here. Ibata, ibata, ibata. Like, like, are you five times? Are you eight times? It seems to be. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. A lot more. A lot more to it. A yeah, lot and, absolutely. And look, everybody thinks about these EBITDA multiples, yeah. and yes, they're important. But remember, EBITDA multiples can be highly misleading because the question is multiple of what, right? So is it last year? Is it adjusted? Is it next year? So you these nuances can create a lot of uh, complexity and confusion in the marketplace. So yes, uh, multiples are important, but don't get too fixated on that. Okay. Think about overall shareholder value. Think about the intangible value that you're creating in your business. Think about getting a good payday. And don't forget, there's always three parties to every transaction, the buyer, the seller, the government. And the way the rules work is that the buyer and seller can work together to legitimately reduce or defer the government's take. So it's not about you know what you get for your business, it's about what you keep. It's also important to think about transaction terms because a lot of people are thinking, I want the highest price for my business. Well, price can come in many forms, right? It can be cash and closing, everybody loves that. It can be these promissory notes. It can be these earnouts. It can be other mechanisms. Yeah. And yes, the headline price might be great, but you have to remember that any dollar at closing, that any dollar you don't receive at closing is a dollar at risk. And so the sellers have to be satisfied. The prospective reward is worth that risk. Right? So these mechanisms can sometimes be used to bridge uh, value gaps between the buyer and seller, but they're by no means any guarantee and you got to be comfortable with that. So there's there's a lot of variables besides these multiples or just the price that ultimately people want to fetch. Okay, so you talked a bit before. Getting back to what you talk, I got you. Getting back before you talked about the the aligning the compensation. That's one key element. What yes. what else? What else is part of that journey? Like 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 do you plan? I guess part of it. Like how long is typically do you plan ahead if? Uh, like or do some people say i want to sell it's okay a few months later we're done is it a journey like 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 how does it what are some of the other components yeah if if it is a sale it's you know look everybody describes it as that marathon not a sprint right so if somebody is thinking of selling their business it is best to start to take the, the initiatives to be prepared for sale years in advance right because you want to create a business that ultimately is attractive to a prospective buyer. Remember, you have one chance to make a good first impression. You don't want to go to the marketplace and then have to retract and go back because people will remember that and they'll say it's been a busted process and it will compromise the seller's negotiating position. So if you have the luxury of time, which ideally you do because things can change very quickly, health or other circumstances, Number one, you want to ensure that your business is set up for a tax-efficient sale, right? Keep them as much money as possible. You want that strong management team in place. In an ideal world, you know, the business owner, when they are meeting with a prospective buyer, the business owner might be there with his or her key management team. And ideally, the business owner stands up and says, look, I formed this business 20 years ago with, uh, you know, $1,000 in my pocket and I worked 90 hours a week and everything else. But five years ago, I hired Joe and Fred and Mary, and here they are today, and they do the day-to-day stuff, and I, you know, I'm off to Florida half the time. They're going to take it from here, and they're the ones that really take it to the next step, and that is great for a buyer because it reduces perceived risk. 
But then a question comes up, those key managers, right? What's in it for them? And this is something a business owner has to think very carefully of because without those key people, the business may be worth a lot less. So it is not uncommon for key people to get certain extra bonuses like a transaction bonus or a retention bonus or something. And yes, it is a cost to the seller, but the seller has to weigh that cost against the potential loss of business value if one or more of those people leave. So it's not a black and white solution. Everyone is unique, but it's an important consideration. So good question too. Does it make a difference to what if, what if it's is strategic bar? I'm using a crafter's example. You know what I mean? They want, and I'm just talking as a layman right now. They want the brands. They want the brand to bring it into their supply chain. Would would they need the people? I in mean, in most that, cases, every yeah. situation is different. Yeah. In, yeah. Look, every situation is is different for sure. Yeah. But the uh, you know the number of transactions where the buyer comes in and slashes everybody, it tends to be rare. Okay. Right. Good. Because the the best buyers the. Uh, the best buyers are not necessarily direct competitors. Direct competitors are always thinking about cost saving. Best buyers tend to be what I call platform buyers. A platform buyer tends to be more focused on how much revenue they can generate, right? Because those people will tend to pay up for the revenue potential. But what do they need to generate revenue? They look at a business and they say, look, I can replace the equipment. I can replace the receivables and so on. What I'm really buying is people, products, customers. I got it. The same got, yeah. theme we've talked yeah. about in yeah. generating yeah. shareholder value. It's oh, the intangible. So it. the right buyer says, look, if I had your people, if I had your products, if I had your customers, I could take it to the next level. Got it. Or for got a smaller it. Canadian business, it might be, you've got great products, great formulations, great brand name up and coming, but you don't have much distribution. When I, in a previous life, I used to work for Frito-Lay, right? We went out and we bought companies. What did we buy? Well, we bought other snack-like companies that were up and coming because what did we have at Frito-Lay? Yeah, big name and so on. The key asset, the distribution network, right? We're going to buy your products. We're going to stick them on our trucks. And instead of you (laughs) distributing to 100 doors, you're going to be next day to 10,000 doors. I got it. I got it. That is leverage. I got it. I want to ask you too. I want to to look at current times. And I'm going to focus on... I think you made a fairly by point. I, I sometimes perceive there might be a little too much focus on product. It, it sometimes it may, it, it's all three. You know what I mean? And uh, but I also want to ask you: looking at today's environment, uh, you know, financing is more challenging. Some capital, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What can you share about the current landscape of food? Can you share on that of food transactions and what's going what's going on under the current umbrella or have you seen hey uh hey yogurt man is taking you know is there any i don't know yeah i don't know i'm just asking like uh, in terms of these three areas what what, what what's going on under the current landscape the current economic economic macroeconomic microeconomic what do you want to call them you know like yeah. Yeah. so look from a macro perspective yeah. the food beverage sector is fortunately more resilient to the trends as we might expect than technology or building products or something else. So that's the good news. Now, the challenge has been uh, financing has become a lot more expensive, a lot more difficult to to get. But where is that an issue? Well, that tends to be an issue more for private equity firms that used to use a lot of leverage 
right? Go to the bank. So they offered somebody 12 times their business. They went to the bank and the bank said, I'll give you six times EBITDA and you put in six times, et cetera. Those transactions are more difficult today. But those tend to be the bigger transactions. Those tend to be transactions in the hundreds of millions and higher. Uh, smaller transactions. And look, Canada is a smaller market economy. We have a lot of good quality businesses worth you know, 10, 50, 100 million dollars where those types of buyouts aren't as prevalent as they are in the big U.S. market. So fortunately for the mid-sized business owner, there's a lot of money sitting in the sidelines. There's still a lot of dry powder among those private equity firms that, you know what, they've made an investment in a large food company, and now they want to have bolt-ons, strategic bolt-ons. Mid-market Canadian companies are perfect for that. You've got the S&P 500 with with about $3 trillion, $3 trillion U.S. dollars, real money, right? sitting there looking for a home. And those big U.S. companies, you know, they don't want to do these massive transformative acquisitions right now. It's too risky. But they need to spend that money. They need to invest. They need to grow. They need to keep the analysts happy. What do they do? They look for those mid-market companies that help them evolve. Right, And a leader in a market niche is always really nice to have. So if you can have a market niche, either through the brand name, the formulation, the following, something that's, again, intangible, that's going to attract the prospective buyer because those big buyers usually like bigger deals. So that you have to show them how your smaller company can be leveraged. You know, brand name, formulation, knowledge, know-how, intangible value is uh, is leverageable. And that becomes the key. Well, I don't know why. I was just thinking about pet food for a minute when you talked about that. <laughs> like, that's a big one. Pets, pet food. You're talking about formulations. There's a whole, as a whole yeah. discussion. But pet pet food is, look, yeah. all you have to do is look yeah. at a company like Fresh Pet in the U.S. and see how well they're doing. Yeah. Uh you know, from the formulations. And it is incredible. We've seen some big pet deals take place in Canada and in the U.S. Yeah, in, in recent years. Like you know, people are spending a lot of money on their pets and the formulations are key and, and everything else. So, yep. you know, that's another vertical where it's a very hot market. You know, it's health true. food, obviously very hot. And everybody calls themselves healthy. So, you know, you know it's, a, it's a noisy market. You got to make sure that you stand out. Good. You know, Howard, this has been very, very insightful. Really, really, we can talk so much. We haven't even we haven't even discussed food tech and sustainability. That's a whole other area. It you know, is. It's big the, area. the innovation side of the business. Uh, what's happening today? It's just. But this was very, very, very insightful, and I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights. And well, it's been my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. Is there anything else, closing remarks that you want to mention that perhaps we didn't talk about that you think is relevant to the audience? No. So I, I think from a macro perspective, right, we saw a very, uh, we went through that COVID piece, yep. right? We saw everything drop off at the uh, first part of 2020, roaring back at the end of 2020, very strong through 2021 into the first half of 2022. Things were slowed, slowed down in the back half of 2022. Today, they're a, you know, a little slow, but it's ramping up. I think that 2023, the back half of 23 and the 24 right. are going to be strong M&A markets. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And one thing I'm going to add to it, when you talked, and I'm not trying to promote you or I'm talking in general, it might be money well spent to bring in an advisor or someone early on to, it could be money, it could be money really well spent. 
because we talk about EBIT down the road you're building, it could be millions of dollars at stake, millions. Uh, absolutely. And look, um, the way that we operate is Brilliant. we're always happy to have initial discussions in total confidence, no cost, no absolutely. obligation. But, and just tell people candidly what we think. And sometimes the journey, yeah. we can't help them. But yeah. when but we can through the journey, but it might be money really well spent, like like to say, OK, you got a, you got a strong product. You got a strong customer, but you got you got your week on the week on the talent side. You know, you got your turn whatever it is, you know, like, but it might be some. It might be it might be some money well spent. Anyways, yeah, no, we, we do that all the time, and, and in fact, yeah. that's the whole purpose that I wrote most of these books. By the way, yeah. is most of them aren't made for the academic; they're made for the business owner. Got right? it. They're in Got very it. straightforward language, and you know, sometimes people will just flip through them. I've got one called "Selling Your Business: Straightforward Answers to Common Questions." You send me that that booklet. Is that the booklet? Yeah, there, there's a <laughs> I got booklet, that. and you know, Amazing. maybe it's the Amazing. top hundred questions people get. Like, what goes in a letter of intent? Who do I approach? How do I maintain confidentiality? All these things, because for most business owners, the sale of their business is as much a personal decision as it is an economic decision. Look, it's their, it's their, some of them, it's their life's work. It is, it is, and and, and you know, the emotions in it are absolutely. huge. Absolutely, and yeah. sometimes what torpedoes a sale is. What are you going to do with my company? They want, people want to leave a legacy. As, Absolutely. There's a lot of issues that come into play. It can be very complex, but I guess the more successful your business is, the more complex it is, which it, is, it, you, it, it certainly can be. Complexity. You yeah. want complexity. Yeah. Howard, thank you so much. It's yeah. been awesome. Take thank care, you, everybody. Bruce. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on the Bruce Singer podcast. Take care. Bye bye.